Clark again. Now Bell. Portier's through the middle. Here's McDougall. Absolutely magnificent. Coming in to a total jamboree for Aberdeen. Well, you just can't expect to see goals any better than that. Welcome to the latest By The Minute Aberdeen podcast. A uh, slightly sombre mood tonight, looking back on another dispiriting home defeat to Celtic. Joining us to raise our spirits somewhat, we have uh, JJ Bull with us again. JJ, great to have you back on. Hello, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And uh, it is, of course, a pleasure to welcome back Martin Cleaners. Martin, how are you? Uh, Yeah, yeah, let's get stuck into this, Richard. Right, this might be a ranty one, I suppose. Um, <laughs> let's uh, kick off looking at the formation. Um, JJ, it was, we've seen a quite a few weird and wonderful formations, particularly in these games in the past. But just the other week at Easter Road, we also saw a bit of a curveball from the manager. Uh, this one was a much more orthodox 4-2-3-1. A couple of personnel were moved about. However, the question marks, I think, from the support were much more about the mentality. Um, were you surprised with how, how he set out his stall yesterday? No, I, I think he got it right this time. Um, I think that having that holding player O'Connor between the, the lines is quite good. I think it comes down to personnel. I think he, I think it was, it's a 4-3-3-1, probably a 4-1-4-1 defence. Yeah. I think there are huge question marks for what um, Gary McKay-Steven offers. <laughs> I think uh, you, you saw it from the start. It was a very deep-lying team, but they pressed the front three. It's quite like what... Uh, uh, I think Swansea been doing it and um, Wigan did it against Man City the other day actually pushing high up to try and force some errors in that horrible pitch it seemed to work seemed to get something out of it early on but as I'm sure you'll go on it didn't we didn't win did we so yeah um, it, it, halfway through the game I was kind of reminded of that Ebby quote about the operation going well but the patient having died uh, because I mean it was quite a similar setup I thought it was a slightly deeper press. Yeah, the front three more so in the second half. I think tried to cut out the short ball from the goalkeeper, certainly from uh, from yep. goal kicks and so on. But it, it was quite similar to how Zenit had played Celtic, and they played him absolutely perfectly on Thursday night. But it is, I think, a lot to to do about the quality of the personnel on offer. We'll look more in depth at the first goal later on. But uh, the ability of James Forrest to to beat his man, and yeah, you could throw question marks at Andy Constantine, and we no doubt will later on the show, and to put over. A brilliant cross ball right into the head of Dembele that was never mirrored by either of our wide guys throughout the 90 minutes. They, they seemed incapable of driving on and beating their full back and even if they were in good positions getting a quality ball in the box. I think we had a couple of good set piece balls in the box but the actual delivery simply wasn't there. I think when we when we talk about and people are now screaming it seems for oh why didn't we high press as if they've suddenly discovered this phrase Martin. I think we have to remember that the success of this Aberdeen side is always been built on a solid compact counter attacking style no no you're absolutely right um some of the stuff yesterday i mean and like and you're you completely agree with you there it's um this high press thing is you know while it would have been nice to see us maybe get a little bit closer i mean the first half i mean like you say the second half we got we got there the front three were pressing a bit more but this idea that we should just be closing down every single man at every single moment um i don't think we're we're a talented enough team to be doing playing that kind of football. Um, we are still a very talented team, but I just don't think it's in the makeup of Aberdeen's side. And we've been successful playing counter-attacking football. The problem is that we need to be able to cut out the attacks, and it didn't. That was where the kind of problems came down. We're going to try not to criticise Andy Constein this game because I start, I'm starting to feel sorry for him. How many times is he going to be put through this this torture of guys like James Forrest, um, just you know, having having their will with him? Um, I felt I felt quite sorry for him during the game. You no, know, Constein was just a passenger. You know, Celtic were doing all the right things, and we didn't seem to be able to get to them at all. And when you can't get the ball off of them, which it seemed like there was a spell in the first half where, you know, we just we didn't really even 
even look at the ball. You know, you're not going to be able to counter-attack when you can't get the ball off them. And that's, I think, it's what the disappointing thing was. Zenit, Zenit were much... Well, Zenit are obviously a much, much better side than Celtic, never mind talking about us. They managed to you know, press them, they managed to get the ball off them. They managed to do all the right things that the Aberdeen side, unfortunately, you know, aren't good enough to do. I've got to pull you up on something there. I mean, you talk about Considine as if he got constantly ragged all by Forrest all game long. That, that, to me, simply wasn't the case. He got beaten critically once, and that's the problem with setting up as a counter-attacking side. You absolutely have to be error-free when it comes to defending. And again, when it comes to the set-up, JJ, it reminded me a lot of the way we tried to play the Scottish Cup final a few months ago, and obviously yeah. we got widely praised for that performance it was again a reliance on you know creating stuff from set pieces launching it long into the corners getting the energy of Kenny McLean further up the field it reminded me a lot of that I, I agree with that I think as you touched on the problem is that Celtic have much better players we can Aberdeen don't have players who are either I mean they're fit but they don't have the stamina and the they just can't press in a full game. You do that against Celtic, you get, they'll get torn apart. So there'll be the odd game where they maybe get a, a win. But the best way I, to, to take them on is to try and look for mistakes, especially because that ball is bubbling all along the top. So have three up there trying to catch from something and a solid back line so you have something to, to counter from. Then on the other side of that, Celtic know that Aberdeen's strongest suit is counter-attack football. So they were deeper. They weren't really pushing. Yeah. You know, their offensive line was always quite deep. Whenever we had the ball, they were they were they were deep on to it, and I think there's a few things here. Like Considine, yes. So GMS offers absolutely no defensive support whatsoever in that flank. He is completely buggered in the zone. So you got Nakwali's in the left of that midfield of the centre. So he should be able to come over and help out a little bit, but he's maybe just not quite there. O'Connor, um, I've been on about him a few times before. Positionally, I don't think he's anywhere near it. But he seems like a good leader, a good solid head on him. He's just maybe not a good footballer. You remember like Gary Neville used to talk a lot about how he knew he, he was done when he was left exposed. He didn't have a, a, a wide midfielder ahead of him helping out. Well, Constantine has GMS doing nothing, and he's and Constantine's pace is gone, and he doesn't also uh, what pace he had, and he doesn't now offer anything going forward as a for a long time they would play him as a left fullback, but he he would come almost inside as an extra striker <laughs> during attacks to turn up as a as a header at the back post. So it's a real asset to have that. But now he doesn't do that at all, and he's a liability, and Celtic Real to expose him. The, the thing about it is, that I thought, if Arneson connects with that, that chance early on, that's 1-0, and that could change the game. But then you could also say, doing that would have woken Celtic up straight away, and they'd come straight through. And we're missing, we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to touch on this as well, but missing Shinny in the middle, and just someone to keep it calm. There were so many nervous bits of players in possession. Logan especially was, wasn't calm. I thought Gary McKay Stephen took a while to find his touch. Too many people, too many players humping it forwards. Well, I'm not sure that the um, the phrase Graham Shinney and Cam have necessarily been together too often this season. Um, <laughs> well, but certainly, he was one of three yeah. key players that was missing yesterday. Um, Captain is out, your goalkeeper is out, and obviously you've got the Ryan Christie situation. I think, again, there was a lot of shrieking online uh, last night about Freddie Woodman for the second goal. But I think, you know, we've often had David Priest on the show, and he'll frequently tell you that the whole adage of, oh, you should never be beaten by your near, uh, at your near post is a nonsense. Pace and power are going to beat you from any angle. But my question, Mark Martin, is maybe more about the first. James Forrest is very clearly in a crossing position. It's clearly going to be a, an outswing up, or it's going to be lofted to the back post. He seems very close to the front post to me. He's a, he's a couple of steps away from that front post when Forrest is uh, setting up for the cross. Yeah, he was. Um, I think that's probably a fair th- fair point. I mean, Forrest isn't going to be have taken a shot from where he is, and if he does, no, it's a miss hit. You know, and there's nothing you can really do about that. Um, he just finds himself too far forward. I think he then realizes you see him kind of scrambling to get back, but by that point, it's far too late, and it's you no, know, it's above his head before he really kind of knows where it is. That's the one where I would say the problem is you're completely right with the second one. Um, I'm sure we'll come back to it, but with the second goal of the of the guy, if we're going to be proportioning blame to anybody, I don't think he'd be getting it at all. Yeah, JJ, a bit more on Woodman uh, on the second goal. Would you, would you would you agree with me that you know it's a fine strike by Tierney, and that whole adage about you know you should never be beaten by an air post is a bit too much Alan Shearer on match of day level analysis. <laughs> uh, I would always agree with what a natural goalkeeper says, <laughs> especially. 
I think Joe Lewis saves that. I think it's positional. He's not expecting the shot at the near post. Priest is right. If you're if you're ready for it and it goes flying past you, then fair enough. But Whitman's young, and this is a it's a big game. I think you, I agree with you for the first as well. I think he's he's brought towards the ball a little bit and he's out of possession, uh, out of position. Sorry, uh, you have noticed Arneson trying to clear that head height ball with his foot as well, right on that first goal. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just, it, I don't know what he's playing at. Then and that that goal comes about from. GMS being slightly out of position, which then doesn't help Constein, who's then easily beaten for that goal. There's so many different errors. I can't. I don't think you can blame Woodman for just one positional. There's a whole bunch of reasons that that, that goal has gone in. I thought it was quite interesting. It's not really related, but you see the foul count from the game. Celtic were well above. It was 19 to I think it was 11 in fouls. So they're just trying to break up play, make sure that we can't get anywhere with it and it's something that we should be doing more of if not what Cosgrove did at the end but no breaking that play that's going to uh, Pochettino way you know the halfway line making sure there's no chance for him to get away but people, players just can't get close enough to those Celtic ones and they're breaking well that's certainly how uh, the first uh, Mikael Lustig booking came about uh, Garmikai Stephen was, was breaking was past him was uh, yeah. looking to enter into the Celtic half and, and hopefully create something and uh, the second goal is really Maybe an object lesson than that, or a failure to engage a player higher up the pitch in a less dangerous situation. Granted, Shea Logan was the last man, but Kenny, Kenny McLean had done well to cover back when we'd lost that ball and Celtic were breaking. I have a real issue with Shea Logan, and we've seen it before, Martin, where he just backs off and backs off a player and simply absolves himself of making any decision whatsoever. I've got a real problem with this goal and I like Shea Logan but I've watched this goal last night, I watched it back so many times. It, it was like watching the video in the video in JFK, the movie. Can't believe he doesn't go to the man and try and try and at least slow his slow his run, stop him. As you say, Kenny McLean's coming back there. I know he's obviously well, there's the the situation with him and Celtic. He's is he too keen to try and impress? Is it does it mean maybe too much to him that the level headed thinking just disappears? He's not had a great season so far. He's been found wanting a few times as well. We've discussed this where he's sort of been caught where maybe he should go to a man. And we're not just talking about Celtic or Rangers on big games. He's done it against other teams as well where we've lost goals. But this this one in particular yesterday was why doesn't he just engage the man in the Celtic half? I'm not saying he has to like go steaming into him and you know, take him down and commit a foul. But if you engage him, it slows the play, the play down and get, gives a chance for us to get some players back. McGinn was running back, I think... Uh, McKenna was coming as well. You know, those guys that have got pace would have been able to get there, but instead he just backs off, backs off for a good what? I mean, what was it, thirty yards, twenty-five yards? And then by that point, it's just you no, know, it's all over. I'd like to defend Logan a little bit there because I, I think again he's he's a fine, he's okay. He's a, he was a decent player I think last year. I don't think he's really been performing well this season. From what I've seen, but I still like him as a footballer. I think he's caught one yard out, just one yard behind the play, and it's Dembele running at him, and the composer on the ball Dembele has, he's running at, at speed, and Logan has to keep going back, he sees McLean coming in, so then he just has to hold position to make sure Dembele can't go. If Logan goes into that tackle straight away, and should engage in the, in the half, Dembele will go past him, that's the fear, and he, looks, he, he leaves the whole pitch open for him to run into, and he's fast enough to get away. Now, there's another way of thinking of that, he goes in, he can make sure he just grabs his shirt and pulls him down, takes the yellow card. Yeah, which is what you said earlier. That's what I mean. That's just what Celtic would have done. They would have taken him out like that. But he's not the kind of player. He's a, a, a good technical footballer, but he's not one of the the leaders, the kind of the players that plays with his his head so much. He play, he's a good footballer. He's not so much as good as I know. Surely would have taken him out. And that's surely what it comes down to, though, isn't it? It's about having that game understanding that. Um we seem to have a franticness about us when we play these games, whether it be in like the, sit- the situation there with Logan not able to kind of acknowledge the, the match situation and the, 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 the wider pitch situation, or perhaps that uh, chance that Guy McKay Stephen had where he sort of shots, uh, sort of tried to set up Stevie May. You know, fine well in most league games, Mackay Stephen would pop that into the bottom corner without even thinking about it. But there is just this franticness about us, and it comes from the stands and it's replicated on the pitch, JJ, I think, anyway. I, I agree. I think it's, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because Logan knows he's got that wrong. And he'll, he can coach that and you can show him where he should have done this and should have done that. 
But once you've, I mean, he's he's old enough now. You go to the pitch, no matter how much coaching he's had. When he's in that situation, you've got to make you know instant, just natural decisions. And if he's making the wrong ones, it's just that's him as a footballer, and that's why you have better footballers than Jay Logan that play that same position. That you see it all over in every single level that players do this. And then if the crowd, there was yeah, there's a fanticness, but it's. It's so difficult to beat Celtic. So few teams, especially domestically, we're really up against it. And when that starts happening, it's very difficult to... I don't know. I, I, I do defend him a little bit on it, but it, it, because that's, I think, his limits as a player. But what, where can you go from it? Do you play someone else right back? Who do you get in? There's no one there. You can't get rid of Shane Logan. So many different factors to consider with it. Well, let's talk more generally about Shea's place in the team, Martin. He, he hasn't really got any direct competition in the first-team squad at right-back. He'd be moving Don Ball or O'Connor out right, to be centre-halves playing at right-back, and, you know, we we know how that story ends. I, I don't think he's ever been a great... Well, I think he's been a good, solid defender for us. I don't think he's ever really been a good right-back for us. I think he's a right-wing-back, uh, and his pace has been a huge asset for us. And over the past few seasons, his attacking qualities have brought a lot to the side, often working in tandem with Nal McGinda in that right-hand side. But in keeping with the other side of the pitch, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago, about the full-backs being most affected by the changes in the summer, only one goal and two assists for Shea Logan at this point in the season, compared to three goals and four assists last season and three and three two seasons ago. So, so noticeably down. And um, if there's going to be sections of the support and I go left back then you know why isn't a right back who's producing very similar numbers getting the same stick absolutely agree I mean I would say that you know there probably is a school of thought that because because Shea Logan is like a well-liked guy he's Mr Banter on social media everybody's fallen in love with him Logan is a better player when Aberdeen see more of the ball when we're attacking on in previous seasons we've seen tons and tons of the ball you know Teams have been the ones defending against us for for long spells of the game, and we've seen lots of it. So he's been able to get forward. I don't think there's ever really been out with maybe games against the Rangers and Celtic. He's ever been in domestically anyway in a game where we he's been under real pressure against a really talented left winger constantly for a, for a ninety minutes. And maybe that's where it comes from that he is a, he's an attacking fullback. You're absolutely right to say that. We we spoke earlier on in the season about you know the lack of assists coming from. No players in the squad. We mentioned Mackay Stephen. We've obviously mentioned Greg Stewart previously as well. Um, if Logan isn't going to be contributing assists, then it is going to be noticed more. And then when things happen like the goal yesterday, which maybe we are getting a little bit too excited about it, um, when things like that happen, people are going to start picking picking at him because if he's not bringing assists, he needs to be bringing something else to the t- the team. And so far this season, no, he's not really had a great impact, but. Your first point is completely right. There's no direct competition. You're not going to be playing Dominic Ball ahead of him. For me, you know, there's far greater problems in the in the squad than right back. I think that she's a solid right back, very very good attacking full back. But there's there's other aspects, especially when you come to the summer. There's other aspects of the team that are going to be, need to be looked at ahead of right back. And I think that maybe there's a little bit of complacency got in there where he hasn't he doesn't feel threatened. Um though right back is his birth. He plays there all the time. He's barely missed a game, he's barely missed a minute. Um so you know, that kinda that maybe kinda confidence just comes from that. I'm not sure I I would say that that competition will really affect him. it's probably true that it'll do to some point, to some extent. I think the big problem he's got, especially in the way we were playing even last season was that not having, it comes back to like Ryan Jack, mm-hmm. not having that player that takes the ball all the time and lets everyone go. So Jack would come short, get the ball, and he would keep everything flowing, stay in the middle, and it would allow the team to get their shape right. Logan could bomb forward down the wing, get to his right position. But because there's no one really keeping control of it there, and it's been a real problem this season, Logan can't then get forward when he needs to, and he's kind of caught between being more of a defender, and as you're both saying, he's absolutely a much better He'll be much better attacking than he is defending. And I think that really has been a big problem we've had this season. And you kind of saw it against Celtic, need that holding player. It's something that uh, uh, Derek McInnes was talked to me about when I was speaking to him as well. And he mentioned that they've really missed Ryan Jack this season. 
Yeah, we should uh, we should bring that up. JJ uh, obviously writes for the Telegraph and had an interview with Derek McInnes in the Sunday Telegraph, which you can find online. Uh, we'll share that link um, when this podcast goes out if you haven't already read it. Uh, so JJ, beyond what was obviously mentioned in that interview, which um, spoke a bit about obviously his personal ambitions. I mean, it was a piece for a wider audience than just a, a Scottish audience or an Aberdeen audience. So, so I guess that had to reference the advances made by Sunderland and Rangers. Um, what else did he did he cover that maybe didn't make the uh, the actual interview? I asked him a lot of quite specific things about his coaching career um, and how he got into it and what his general take on football philosophies and things like that were, which um, I can go into. I found quite interesting. But I asked him a lot about whether he thinks um, Celtic and Rangers and even Hibs now really raise their game against Aberdeen and why is it that we've struggled so often against teams like that. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was that he was... A lot of stuff he said was about how he thinks the team should be an extension of himself. Mm-hmm. But he went further into that and said it's not all about being a good player. It's about having different kinds of players. The first thing that they do when they recruit is look for affordability and then go from there. And I, I asked him whether he saw Shinny as a, an extension of himself on the pitch. He does. Uh, and you can see that he needs that kind of that leadership head in the middle to keep everything everything going. The other thing I thought was interesting is talking about how we were set up as a counter-attacking team for ages. He said he thinks the first couple of years that we really caught a few teams by surprise and he had that front three of um, McGinn and Hayes and Paulette behind Rooney that were able to break forward because teams would allow them to break. But now teams sit back. I mean, that Hearts <coughs> game, I was, I was there. I mean, that was you know, 4-6-0 or something there for mission. And so you can't, there's no chance you can counter-attack a team won't let you do it. And so to play that high tempo, to what his actual quote was, uh, no, I can't find it in a second, but he, he said rather than beating people with pace by purely running, you have to beat them with a different kind of pace, and moving the ball quicker, moving in different areas, getting the ball into different parts of the pitch. But to do that, you need the quality of player that's very hard to, to buy and keep. Kenny McLean's one of the few we've got, but obviously he's going to have to leave. When we speak about the general makeup of the squad, JJ, uh, obviously he inherited Russell Anderson, brought in the likes of Robson and Flood, but there has been a move in recent years towards players with greater technical abilities uh, rather than perhaps leadership or experience, which he focused on in, in those early windows. Hence, we are much better equipped to get a breakthrough against a side set up to defend, which most sides come with pitodry to do. But it, it does maybe on the other side of that coin leaves you left able to tough it out when the deck's stacked against you. Do you think that's a factor? I mean, it's a it's a hard thing to quantify leadership, isn't it? He's he's trying to sign a lot of ex ex PFL captains. They don't they might have had captaincy experience, but they don't always necessarily come with that real drive and desire which gets you that victory over a team like Celtic. Perhaps you put it in the context is it being um, you know you, you can sign the best players from the other teams sort of like how Rangers and Celtic used to do but we'd have to go a tier below <coughs> I mean he's signing if you look at players he's like I know Arneson's a re-signing but that's you know he's a World Cup defender he brings experience he brings I would say leadership he's a captain kind of material O'Connor is meant to be a, a leader and that's the kind of player he is I don't think he's a very technically gifted footballer I think he's good at getting stuck in and doing that kind of stuff but there's no way he's a holding midfield player in the type we need. The big problem, I think, has been Tanzi. He really thought Tanzi would bring more than he has. I didn't I get to talk to him about Tanzi, actually, but something I, which I, I regret. But that is clearly a big loss, because he was meant to be the person that had brought that control to the team, but has that technical ability whilst also supposedly having a lot of the drive and determination we need. And we saw that kind of that kind of play from Ryan Jack. But you can't sign Ryan Jack because that's the kind of player that teams like Rangers can afford. And it's very difficult to find them of any age where they have the cool head on their shoulders to really play that you can also afford them. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. The the Tansy one, he's, I mean, a lot of what you're saying was echoed in that recent uh, black and gold season ticket holder at night. The Tansy one's a really interesting one to me, Martin, because he didn't play in that role. So... It must be a case of him and his scouting team having seen attributes he thought could fit into that holding midfield role. I think obviously McInnes isn't going to have watched him. No, I've seen him so many times when he was um, at Cali that he's 
he's decided you know, that there's a, there's a player in there, and you no, know, we've 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 seen it ourselves. You no, know, there is you no, know, there is a decent player in there at the very least. Um, no, I, he's, he came here, and there was there was obviously him carrying an injury, and I mean, I I'd like to think that he's you no, know, he's gone out there, and he was willing to go out on loan. Uh, try and perhaps get his fitness back, get about hopefully get some sort of form back. Not really, you know, the, probably the best club to go to because Ross County appear to be doomed. Um, but you no, know, there's obviously a, there's obviously a good player in there, and it's you know it's a question of you know is it in McInnes's managerial ability that if he can eke that out of him, I mean he clearly thinks it's in there. You now Tansy's not a terrible footballer. Yes, he made some ter- pretty awful mistakes in some games. No, we're not going to go over that again. But you know, there's something in there. There is a decent footballer in there, and you know, I think Derek has probably got a, quite a lot of confidence in himself that he can see these type of guys and and bring them at the club, and then bring them up to the level that Aberdeen want to be at. It's very interesting that you you consider that his willingness to go out on loan is a is a positive in Tansy's favour. Uh, I can tell you that the manager thinks quite the opposite. JJ, um, you wonder that his whether his personal ambitions, um, which are still very burned through very brightly in your interview, they're going to be blunted by repeated failure in these games for Aberdeen, aren't they? I mean, that's to say nothing of the actual team's ambitions. I don't know that they are. I think we have to put it into context. Think about where Aberdeen were or was, the term you want to use, when McInnes came in. Where we are now, and sure enough, I think when you put player to player, the squad against squad, Aberdeen versus Rangers, they've got a better team. You look at Celtic, they've got a better team. We should be beating heads. That performance is absolutely hopeless. But I mean, when you ask him why that is. he, he doesn't know. They give them all the encouragement. They try and talk the players up. They give them the right framework. He's tried different tactics to see if that works. But sometimes the players just don't turn up. And the only real way to get better than that is to have better players. I think his ambitions are, are high. You know, he wants to go far. I don't know whether not being able to beat Celtic... I mean, look, Celtic are... But it becomes less eye-catching as it goes on through, you know? Finishing second, 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 and third, it becomes less eye-catching to uh, chairman with no real knowledge of the SBFL, surely. I don't know. I don't think they're as naive as that as chairman. They do the research now. What you'd hope to do, it's what he's done with that team and the whole club. It's really transformed it. I think, from what I recall of the days before he was there, and I think it's very easy to forget exactly where it was, just how professional the place is. I mean, everyone that was in Tottenham that I was there talking to were just glowing praise. A couple of people told me he was the very best manager they've worked with. Some of them have been there since 95. and said, like, hands down, he's, his attention to detail was what we particularly were impressed by. And I think there were clubs in, in the championships that will be especially interested ones that are that should get near promotion but maybe aren't. They kind of drift around the mid-table. And they look at someone who's got evidence and that having done something with a club with ambition, who's managed to take it in, stabilise it, and taken it up to the next level. I don't know whether if anyone came in, say for instance, it's entirely hypothetical. Imagine Neil Lennon came in and took the Aberdeen job. Like he's he's a very good man manager, getting people motivated. Is there any way he'd actually get in more out of that team than McInnes? I don't know if he took like I don't know Chris Hutton, he took him down to Aberdeen. I don't think he'd get any more than McInnes getting out of Aberdeen. So there must be clubs that are looking at that and going, this guy can do something. I think what Alex Neal did in that brief time at, at Norwich probably helps actually picking them up. But then there's a, there's a real danger of going to that uh, merry-go-round of managers in the championship. Once you get on, you have a few results go against you, which is very easy to happen. It's a very random league that it suddenly looks like you don't know what you're doing as a manager. And then to get a club like the way you've got Aberdeen organised, it takes time. Will you ever get patience doing it? It'd take a real special job to make him leave what he has just now, I would imagine. Well, let's uh, just focus a little bit more on a few of the other incidents in the game. Uh, the two red cards in particular, Martin. The uh, Mikhail Lustig red, second yellow, absolutely no doubt about it, both for taking down Guy Mackay Stephen. Um, very similar, though, to when Ryan Jack got sent off playing for the Rangers back in December. Uh, we were a goal down, there's a decent amount of time left to play, but 
we almost immediately concede uh, a cheap second goal. It's uh, it just it just adds to the frustration, doesn't it? I suppose the natural reaction is to think, right, they're going to be a bit of disarray. The right back's just been sent off. Who's he meant to be picking up? Let's try and get up there and let's try and unsettle them and get get a quick goal. A bit more patience would have maybe been been the, the way to go. And of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. The urgency to kind of go and try and get that goal immediately and get everyone in forward when maybe a bit of cautiousness, you know, maybe just keeping a defender back, someone on the edge of the box. That's the thing as well. What's Ed, how's Edward managing to pick that ball out of the air like that with no one near him is just another frustration as well. And then the game's, the game's gone by that. And you're playing against 10 men and somehow you end up, you're 2-0 down. Game intelligence thing I want to come back to again. You spoke there about they're in, they've just lost a man there who, you know, they're in a bit of disarray defensively. We get that free kick from the uh, incident that led to Lustig being sent off JJ and it was played inside to Nokali who shoots a ridiculous shot that goes miles wide from 40 yards out. That's just another example of the, the sort of lack of clear thinking that was on display and seems to be on display too often in these games. It's very hard to coach that out of players. They must drive some managers absolutely wild and I think a lot of it is, is game management, having those cool heads and that's... <laughs> Again, that comes back to what McInnes um, was saying. That it's not all about having great technical skills. Obviously, that helps. But it's having those players who can keep calm. But if those ones that you are meant to trust and you depend upon to to spread that message in the side, don't do it. What, what can you do? There's just very little you can do from the sidelines. And uh, if to really almost crystallised those thoughts in one action. Along came Sam Cosgrove, who really, really did his best to uh, dissuade people from thinking that he's merely a poor man's Jaden Stockley by getting a, a ludicrous red card for a flying challenge on Scott Brown, which didn't even inflict much damage. I, it's not an auspicious start to his Pataudry career, is it, uh, Martin? And by the way, Jaden Stockley, 17 goals so far for Exeter City this season. Yeah, I almost feel a little bit bad for being arsey about Jaden Stockley a couple of weeks ago. Eh? Um, yeah, it was completely brainless by Cosgrove. You know, they both, um, him and I think it was O'Connor, was it? Both try and have a bite at Scott Brown. Um, and then Cosgrove fancies a second go as well. Um, just takes him down. It, there's no need for it. You know, it comes from, you know, a, a, a kind of miss it cross from Shea Logan. It goes straight to Brown. And they both just kind of go trying to go steaming in there. Uh, I was, there's just no need for it at that point in the game. No, they're down to ten men. You no, know, we're clearly trying to play a certain way. You put a guy on who is you no, know, he's absolutely massive. Um, you know, we're going to try and get something out of this game. And then as soon as he's sent off, it's like that's it. Then okay, it's officially over. It's not a great start from. I mean, the only real question that comes is he more Jaden Stockley than Nigel Pepper. I mean, that's the real question when you ask. <laughs> yeah, it, it was Sunday League, wasn't it? It's interesting that Nigel Pepper is one of his heroes listed on his Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was so disappointed when that happened because it's just you have to hope that these kids have a you know a bit of a head on them, and to go in nuts like that on your on your debut again, what's the kind of thinking? Like you must get him fired up, like go on, you know, give him real performance, and this guy's read that entirely the wrong way. But what I thought was interesting, and maybe I've read this wrong, but you know Scott Brown's uh, "Rawr, I am the best ever" celebration afterwards, kind of backs up the idea that Celtic have raised their game, and they do consider this a big match. Him just that—that that was him knowing that they, you know, we were defeated, that they've won, they were the mighty victors, and I, at least that kind of shows that it's not a huge disparity between the teams. Uh, well, uh, certainly on the uh, results card, it has been this season and last. Uh, that's obviously 10 uh, successive defeats now against uh, Celtic. It was a club record at nine, so, uh, you know, at, yeah. least we, at least we didn't break the record this weekend. Um, it, it makes me wonder, and we will talk about the game in a bit more depth in a few minutes' time, but is there any point getting excited about a Scottish Cup quarterfinal if the side this season has done nothing to suggest that they can actually lift the trophy? Martin? Yeah, we're going to win it. <laughs> well, I won't go to Martin. JJ's given us uh, his... Yeah, we're going to win it. I'm going to go for that as well, yeah. Yeah, we'll beat Kilmarnock, Rangers in the semi-final, and then we'll avenge last season's um, last season's defeat to Celtic in the final. 
With a prediction such as that, you should be looking for a result like 8 or 9 nil in the final, I'm presuming, yeah? I've already, hey, look, I've already booked the Monday off because if we win the Scottish Cup, I am planning on getting really, really drunk and I'm going to need a few days to recover. So. I think regardless of the result, that will happen here. Um, yeah. One thing I thought it was quite funny, when I was talking to Derek at the end, we were, kind of, you know, we were uh, finishing up, and I go, so the future looks bright, does it? And he goes, yep. We're going to win the Scottish Cup this year, are we? And he goes, that's the plan. <laughs> Yeah, we've seen that used quite a few times lately. Uh, you know, before the Hibs game, I think there was a phrase that uh, the intention is to win, but uh, it doesn't always uh, go to plan. And yeah, we've seen that certainly over the past couple of weeks. And JJ, there's, uh, if you're not able to punch above your weight that often in the league, it definitely hurts more when you get punched from below, doesn't it? So the importance of these games, which you have done relatively well taken care of, um, apart from obviously earlier in the season that uh, at, uh, in the League Cup at Fair Park but these games again if the, your argument is you can't touch the teams above you because of the resources issue then if teams below you with fewer resources are outperforming you even though on a one-off uh, basis it becomes much harder to sell that idea to the fan base uh, yeah I mean being punched anywhere hurts normally but I think this I, I think there was a lot of positive that came out of that Celtic performance. I think we honestly really pushed. I know the score, we lost again. There were disappointments and there were clear things you could you could change. I think having uh, Shinny back, having Christy there just gives you so much more. They should be driven. I think those characters in the dressing room that don't like losing. And they're like, I think the players will be sitting there going like, oh, well, you know. We don't care now. The league's gone. They're pushing for seconds. Like it's still, it's still very much in a battle with the Rangers for that position. Here's one for you, uh, which um, maybe might sum up just how our season has been in microcosm. But who would be your player of the year if you were, had to decide that right now, JJ? Oh, Graham Shinny. Really? Do you think yeah. he's been right up there this season? I think when he goes on the pitch. I also, I'm going to just copy exactly what McInnes said, because I, I agree wholeheartedly. When he goes on the pitch, he leaves everything there. He shows the attitude I want to see. He isn't maybe just the best footballer, but I think he makes those around him better. And it's noticeable when he's not on the pitch. I think McKenna's been a revelation, and I've loved watching him come through. Uh, Joe Lewis was great before, obviously, he's had to go in injury holiday. Uh, yeah, it'd have to be shiny for me. But what, do you, what do you think yourselves? Mark? I mean, I suppose the I suppose the fashionable choice would be would be McKenna, but um, kind of want to say Joe Lewis. Um, he's been because it seems to be since he's been injured, you know, things have kind of have certainly started to go awry. But there's been mistakes there. But I mean, if you look if you look through the the first the eleven or the, the squad, even um, there's been mistakes. You know, this season has been error strewn from pretty much everybody. That's part. That's I think what we'll look back in the season and say that you know. I do think we know that we've got a great chance in the Scottish Cup, but I do think no matter what, we will we'll look back at this season and we will say what if. No, it would probably for me, um, yeah, I would say probably Joe Lewis, or you would have to say Shinny as well because because he has tried to lead from the front. Well, I asked that question because I don't think anyone really has deserved too much more than about seven out of ten this season, and I, I guess there's, there's always a bias in these competitions to recency. Uh, and if you're going to choose right about now, you'd go Kenny McLean. And he had a pretty mediocre first few months of the season as well. So, uh, to me, I think that sums up. Whereas last season, you could make a strong case for a number of players. This season, it seems to be more of kind of, well, he's maybe just kind of shading it. But uh, anyway, I, I dare say that discussion will be had again when the actual nominations are announced in a month or so's time. Kilmarnock in the Cup quarter-final at Pataudry on Saturday. Uh, and obviously, uh, in case you didn't know, you might not have heard this, but apparently Steve Clark has gone into uh, Kilmarnock to become their manager. Uh, I don't know if that passed both of you by, uh, but um, and I, I, believe, I believe they've done quite well since he went in as well. Uh, they're clearly a really solid side. I think they've maybe got the best midfielder in the whole league in there at the moment. Uh, as much as Chris Boyd is a pantomime villain, he's a reliable goal scorer at this level. And uh, Jordan Jones gave Che Logan a bit of a nightmare last time out and uh, is able to give most uh, fullbacks in this league uh, quite a tough time. JJ, it's a, it's a tough, intriguing cup tie. It is. I think there's something about um, 
this whole mentality and drive the Scottish Cup is where we're going to have success and I think that I hope it is felt by the players and the as much as you get up for the games again coming back to Celtic you get up for that and you perform at a, your top level I think in the Scottish Cup because we're playing against a team like Kilmarnock yes Steve Clark the best manager that Scottish football has ever had is there and he's made them a, a good team we still have better players and I think our manager is still very very talented and I think that should be a game that if the players perform and I think they will because it's not a bigger team who can really put them under pressure and will have added confidence from knowing that there's this I think there's there's something you can't quantify about having this mental drive in the back of your your head somewhere that just you just have this feeling I remember going into the League Cup final in 13 and 14 it was just a feeling we just have it it's just something there and I get that sense this year I could be very 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 wrong <laughs> yeah um I'd you talk about pressure, JJ. Martin, it's an interesting one because I think if we fail to win on Wednesday and fall further behind second, I think there'll be immense pressure on the game on Saturday. There'll be huge pressure. I mean, just this cup game is is so vitally important. You know, Kilmarnock, yep, are a good side they have. And you're right to say Malumbu is probably the best midfielder in the league. He's certainly only here for... He's only going to be here for another couple of months and then he'll be away definitely. He's not, he's not sticking around. Um, so they have got threats. Um, they are a decent and capable side. I think I can only really echo what was said last time when we played them last time in the league that they are good, but I think you no know, Aberdeen are a better side than them, and we hopefully play to God have just a little bit too much for them. Well, Derek McInnes yeah. does have a remarkable record against them, and they were up here a few weeks ago in league business, and we didn't really open them up, uh, JJ, that often. Two strikes in a million plus a goal from a set piece. Um, the, the pitch we mentioned earlier it's going to be another of those games where we're going to have to in most of the set pieces we're going to have to be inventive and creative I think a, a lot of the problem we've had this entire season is and again this is something McKenna said is depending on individual players to produce magic the team's not quite I don't think it's quite there I think recruitment in summer didn't, hasn't quite worked out and so the team depends on those individual players turning up for these games, Gary McKay Stevens especially, if he, when he plays well, he is a phenomenal player. Just because we got humped by Celtic again, by scoreline, and it's ten, you know, it's just all these games in a row that we've lost. We're still a very, very good team, and I think we've seen this added pressure to the the Cup game. Yeah, it's a big game, but these are good players. We've been finishing second in the league, punching well above where we probably should have been. I honestly think it's it, it, it depends. It's impossible to say, isn't it? I keep repeating myself. But yet, if those players turn up, I think it should be a game that we win relatively comfortably, regardless of how come our next up. That's an interesting one. The, this kind of idea of punching above our, our level, and you know, our, our win record overall is, is very, very healthy, very, very good numbers. But yeah. last few years. Probably had the second bit, biggest budget in the league last year, maybe an anomaly. Probably would have been third, but the side that actually had the second biggest budget were such a walking shambles that um, severely mismanaged, and to a degree they are this season as well. Europe, it's incredibly difficult to make a serious dent on Europe from where we start. You not only have to punch above your weight in one round, you have to punch above your weight in three rounds to even make the group stages. And therein lies the difficulty. Over the course of a long season, you have to punch and beat Celtic at least a couple of times, I would say. You'd probably have to split the league games to have a chance of winning the title. And then you have to come up against, obviously, the different qualities and tactical setups that exist in the league. So you have to have a lot of, you have to have the capacity to play in a lot of different ways. And uh, a couple of years ago, we were able to split the points against Celtic, but we really struggled when coming up against the likes of a Cali Thistle or a Hearts. This season, again, we talked about how he builds, builds his squad. He's much more equipped to break down a side like that and to deal with a side like that, it would seem. But we're coming up short against Celtic and the Rangers. And I guess, yeah, is there really evidence of him repeatedly punching above his weight? Or, as the criticism has often been, is he just doing what should be expected of an Aberdeen manager, Martin? Well, from, certainly from a from a fan's point of view, I think it's you would say he's doing what's expected. Um, because of the last few seasons, we've obviously we see ourselves, you know, as the second second best team in the country. That's going to be put to the test 
quite strongly this season. You know, it's 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 looking touch and go. There's going to be you no know, a couple of you know if we finish if we finish second, it's going to be by maybe a point or two, and if we don't finish second, it'll be you no know, unthinkably by you know a point or two. I don't think we're gonna we're go- it's going to be um, a disastrous kind of slip away, but you know. There, there, I suppose there, there has to come. Like, this is why people, I suppose, are questioning McInnes now, and he's getting a bit of criticism because we, you don't see that next step being taken. Um, you know, there's a lot of loan players in in the club. Um, people might question sort of where's the long term planning and going for that, and you know, we can you can get into all the different maybe reasons for you know why there's so many loan players there. You know, whether it's the quality being available. Um, you know. There just there simply isn't a player out there that Aberdeen could afford that has the same ability as Ryan Christie. So if if Celtic don't want him, uh, Aberdeen no, it'd be, it'd be silly for Aberdeen not to want him, for example. But um, there's there is doesn't seem to be that kind of no, the next step doesn't seem to be in sight. And we talk, we've spoken every season about how the group stages would be would be the you no know, considered success, um, and it's it's not been achieved. Uh, a trophy. We've had we've, we've won one league cup. Um, that's not been achieved. Um, I'm not I'm not in the camp of wanting McInnes out by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but there certainly does need to see, be visible visible evidence of Aberdeen are going in, going in a direction where we're not just going to be beating the rest and then losing four times to Celtic and then perhaps playing them in the cup because. You know that's the wrong way to think. We need we need to be getting close to them or as close as we possibly can, and that is very difficult because they've got insurmountable resources. You know, they're in the Champions League. They get God knows how many millions it is now. We can get, we could get closer with with what Aberdeen spend. Aberdeen spend a lot of money, and you know we can. Uh, we're probably guilty as fans of being quite uh, quite you no know, denigrating to the Hamiltons and to the Motherwells even, um, but the but. You know, the difference between them and us, and us and Celtic, isn't you know, isn't really that you know much different. And um, we need to be producing, and I don't think that's been evident, especially this season. Right, JJ, there's a, there's an actual greed, there's an actual almost entitlement amongst any set of football fans. But uh, there is going to come a point, and you could say right now that top three in the league, semi-finals of cup competitions. That is punching at a weight that is doing a respectable, good job as an Aberdeen manager. But that's not going to get away from this almost whale-like need to move forward, is it? Yeah, well this is the problem, because there's a, a whale-like need to, to to go forward. But I don't know where you, you go from here. Who do you expect to, to take it further? Celtic. Any anyone in charge of Celtic, if they meet their standards, like meet their standards, will should win every single trophy, every game, apart from European games, obviously. In, in domestically, they win everything. The Rangers manager, whoever's in charge of there, with what they have and where they can go, should always finish at least second. Aberdeen, we should be. I would like us to be pushing second and first. I think realistically, <laughs> it's been pretty good for the last few years. But I think finishing third is a real achievement. I think Hibs should be pushing for third and second, and Hearts should be pushing for third and second. So only one can really get this third visit, this third place. Who comes in to do it? How do you get players to to take you to the next step in Europe? Yeah, it used to be easier. There were less qualifying rounds to go through. The other teams weren't quite so strong. <coughs> the disparity in money between Celtic and Aberdeen is enormous. It's What's there? They have thirty million pounds sitting in the bank, just sitting there. Whereas our turnover was something close to fifteen million last year. That's a turnover. They've got this money sitting there. They can. We have to, we have to sign loan players. It's the only way to get players who are of a level that can take you to the next step. You can't gamble by spending too much on wages and transfer fees. If the players don't work out. Like, say you sign another Greg Tansy and you spend a bit of money on it. What do you do? And how do you attract these good players to a club like Aberdeen? You can see the disparity between Celtic and Rangers and us. Performing as well as we have in the last few years with a manager like McInnes, who's a real attraction because he looks after you, he's a good person, he knows what he's talking about with his, the way he sets up teams and assembles a squad. But you can't get the players to get to that next level unless you pay them, and we don't have the money to do it. If, when McInnes goes, he will go at some point, and he'll go somewhere, and he'll, I think he'll do okay. He'll do fine. He could be a random, maybe he goes really well, or he struggles a little bit and kind of middles out. Whoever comes in, 
what do you expect them to do? They're going to finish maximum third. I, I can't see them getting second next year. So that's going to be a, a letdown again. Winning in the Cups is a lot of time a lottery. You need your good players. The way the team's built this season, you need your good players to turn up on the day to ensure that you get the chances created and then you have to take those chances. If Arneson took that chance against Celtic, it's 1-0. I mean, play the rest of the game. I mean, we were losing 1-0 for you know most of it. We kept it pretty tight. Arneson takes that chance. Don't let in that stupid that first goal. Then it's a different game. Suddenly we're like, oh, we're, we're great. We're pushing really high up. But everything's done on... These games and these entire careers of managers and players swing on single decisions sometimes. And there's a lot of fans in Aberdeen, and a, it's inevitable, like you touched on. There's so much success in the past that they expect that to happen now. It is a different game now. It is not the 80s. It is different. It's not the 90s. It's completely different. And having a team that you can be proud of, that tries on the pitch and gets close to achieving things, I think is uh, something to get behind. I love watching this Aberdeen team play. It, it sucks when we lose to teams like Celtic and get done by Rangers, but when I see that there's a way we can get there in the future, maybe without letting this, the club disappear down the toilet through money, I think it's I think they've done great work with it. Okay, well that's a, a suitably positive outlook, I think, to end on. Uh, no doubt uh, it's also the nature of social media, we have to remember. It doesn't necessarily reflect what is the thinking of the wider Aberdeen support. Uh, although, that said, as the season draws to a close, there'll be more and more gaps in the Pataudry stands, and I think that's that's almost inevitable um, if the sort of tail-off of league positions continues for the next couple of months. So we'll wait and see. There's a lot to play for a final to get to. There is European football to play for, and there's still second place to play for. I think I had someone tell me just last week when we lost to Hibs that second place was 100% gone at that point. Yeah, we were second place on goal difference by six goals against a team not exactly renowned for their stability over the past couple of years. But there you go. That's the, Maybe it's even a northeast mindset thing that you have to try and uh, fight against sometimes as well, that uh, everything is always bleak and miserable. And, you know, given these long winter months that we endure up here, I, I can't blame you sometimes for having that sort of uh, thought to you. So my thanks tonight to uh, JJ Bull, and you'll be able to find his interview via the Telegraph website, or indeed find him or us on social media and we'll make sure that we tweet that out this evening. JJ, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to me, Chips. And another man randomly shouting into the abyss of the internet is Martin Cleaners. Thank you, Richard. We'll be back next week looking back on the Motherwell and Kilmarnock games. Uh, here's two, three points and a rising uh, display on Saturday that ends with the Dons in the semi-finals of the Cup. Until then, I'm on you, Reds. <laughs>